Brown Cow. <clears throat> Unique New York. Red leather, yellow leather. <clears throat> I'm ready. Boopapa too, how y'all doing? Dispatches from Planet Funk. It's the Aced Out Podcast. Dedicated to all whom the man tried to ace out by profiting from the soul without stopping to give props to the prophets of soul. That is correct. This is Ace Allen, a.k.a. Barack Wayne. And we are brought to you by the letter P and sponsored by Pete, otherwise known as People for the Ethical Treatment of Ear Holes. And we're all Funkanaut fam affiliated. Because Spunk... Uh, spunk. <laughs> because Funk is spelled fun with a K. And that's why they spell it funky. Right, Jay? <laughs> you know it. <laughs> Not spunky. Funky. All right. So now I don't even know what to do with myself. I might have to jump back and kiss myself. We just interviewed a Motown artist, Jay Stone. Yeah. Incredible. And uh, this is our sixth episode. Lucky number. And you know what? It's cool hearing his voice on the phone. Because he had a little bit of that smiling faces. <laughs> We're talking about Joe Pep Harris, the lead singer and original member of The Undisputed Truth. That's right, The Undisputed Truth. The group with the hit Smiling Faces sometimes. The Motown band created by the genius Norman Whitfield, Jay Stone. Yeah. Amazing guy. Uh, Jay Stone, I just happened to be reading uh, Rick James' autobiography right now. Oh, yeah? I don't know if you've ever read it. It's no. called Glow, and it's really great. It's a great just who's who behind the scenes. Yeah, in Motown, I yep. suspect. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Yeah, uh, Rick James, of course, was a Motown uh, artist, and he was actually at Motown at three different times in his career. Okay. Uh, he was there actually with a group called the Minor Birds with Neil Young at first. Right. They were and, on Motown? Yeah, they were on Motown. What? But uh, he got kicked off Motown because Rick James threatened some guy because he didn't get paid on time. Uh, and, you know, he wound up going to jail for a while because he was AWOL from the Army, you know, right. all this crazy Rick James stuff. But anyway, he went back a second time, and he was basically, you know, Rick James, he was kind of like a side musician up to that point. Yeah. But then he went under the tutelage of Norman Whitfield. Okay. When he went back to Motown, Rick James just watched everything that Norman Whitfield did. Right. And... He had a opinion about Norman Whitfield. He, he had a kind of ambivalent opinion about him. He said Norman Whitfield was a badass. He was arrogant. He was yeah. mean. He was a pool shark. A pool shark. <laughs> <laughs> but Norman Whitfield was a genius. We're talking about the man who did um, uh, Heard It Through the Grapevine, yeah. the biggest song of uh, Motown of all time. But believe it or not, Norman Whitfield was very controversial, right? And he was controversial because he had his ear to the future. Yeah. Uh, around that time, Motown they were still doing the you know the finishing school kind of stuff, My Girl and stuff okay. like that. Norman Whitfield, he got the Temptations doing stuff like Cloud Nine, Psychedelic Shack, Psychedelic Shack. Yeah. Papa was a Rolling Stone. Right. Uh, uh, doing stuff with like Eddie Hazel and Billy Bass, sessions with them, right? More urban bass. Yeah, right. And uh, people just started. 
criticizing Norman Whitfield. They're saying you're just using the Temptations to be your, like, I don't know, your Sly Stone, your Funkadelic kind of creation. Right. So as a response, Norman Whitfield decided to form his own group. That brings us to who we're talking to today, Joe Pep. Because Joe right. Pep was in that group, The Undisputed Truth, created by Norman Whitfield with Joe Pep and his two bandmates in mind. We're talking about DJ Evans and uh, Billy Calvin. Also, Joe Pep, he was actually an original member of the Ohio Players. We talked to him about that, Jay Stone. Yeah, that was, that was crazy. He had a uh, lot to say about George Clinton, another George Clinton connection. Yeah. He worked with George. And LTD. And LTD, right, right. Uh, Herschel Happiness. Yeah. Uh, so many names he threw out. Um, and he, uh, he's also our third Detroiter. We had a Muka Kelly. We had JW. And then we had um, Joe Pep Harris. And you know how we got this guest, Jay Stone? How's that? Well, okay, we had the fifth episode, right? And we were on we were on cloud nine from that. Oh, yeah. We recorded a great episode with JW, a.k.a. Jim Wright, who played for Parlette and with Bernie Worrell. And his sister was Debbie Wright, the great singer. And uh, anyway, we posted that, and it was a great episode, and we were happy about it. And then he called me on the phone about a week later, okay. the following weekend. And I thought he was just going to say, what's up, and like, you know, cool, yeah. what's up, you know, great episode. But that's when he told me, I'm going to help you guys. I want to be your producer. Uh, JW, he's talking to me, saying, I want to book your guest. <laughs> so he told me several guests that he's going to book. And this is the first. Oh, man. I am not going to let the cat out of the bag and tell you the other ones. Uh-huh. But they are big, too. Oh, God. So this is just a taste of what JW has to bring to Ace Out Podcast. So we're doing it, my brother. Next level. And uh, next level is right. Uh, so thank you to JW. And uh, Jay Stone, um, tell us about something that we got out with Funkonauts. Yeah, we got that brand new, latest and greatest basic instructions before leaving Earth. Available at uh, Amazon, Spotify, iTunes, maybe Target, Best Buy, you know, any place you can buy music online and, you know, you can get a physical copy as well. And that's Funkonauts. Funkonauts. And we just played uh, live. Uh, I just played live for the first time with Funkonauts in over two years just last weekend. That's right. It was dope. San Francisco. That was an outrageous show. Tupelo. <laughs> that show was insane. Yeah. Playing together again is just putting back, is just, you know, getting back into that comfort zone. And, you know, we have to get back to just booking more shows and spreading it out a little bit. But I really enjoyed the other night, and I'm looking forward to you know, the future and what happens. And uh, Jay Stone, uh, Ricky Vincent happened to be at that show. Yeah, uh, Reggie Hawk leaned yeah. over and we were playing. He's like, is that Ricky Vincent? Yeah. So what happened from that, from him so, seeing the yeah, show? Yeah, he dug it, man. Sent me and, and Tina a personal text saying, you know, he'd like to have us come in for his birthday show, December 27th, and play, you know, a set from like 11 to 12 at KPFA Live. Are we and, doing it? Yeah, man. Hey, yeah. yeah. And guess what? People could what? come and check it out. Oh, oh could, people can watch us yeah, like, uh, could, perform. Yeah, they can come in there and sit in the, in the audience. So where is that at? It's on, I want to say, I might be wrong, 1825 Martin Luther King in Berkeley. Yeah, it's definitely on MLK. Yeah. I know yeah. that. Oh, beautiful, man. That's going to be great. And yeah. we're also playing on November 30th, right? November 30th. This is for the American Indian Movement's 50th anniversary in San Francisco. There's a whole week of activities going on that, you know, could just really enlighten and, and you know, get people uh, inspired and what have you. What's it all about? <laughs> it's called AIM West. 
And we're actually playing at the AIM West Red and Blues Benefit concert November 30th, featuring, uh, in this order, uh, Firebirds, Blues Band, Funkonauts, and the Bobby Young Project. The doors open at 6.30, and it's at 362 Cap Street in San Francisco. All right, man. Who's that sitting next to you on the couch over there? It's my beautiful wife, Tina. Hey, hey, Tina's in the house. Hey. And yo, you guys, remember, we are here in the Blue Room in Oakland. We got Nick Ways on the board. He's just taking, he's doing a little photo shoot while we're recording this intro. Hope you got my good side, um, which is, you know, 100% everything. 360 degrees. Is that the right degree? 180? <laughs> anyway, check it out, y'all. Remember... You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Jay Stone. Yeah. We're on Spotify. That's right. That seems to be a popular place to get us. And I didn't know we were on there. <laughs> I was informed last time that we are now on Spotify. Dig. So I got to keep up with it. Uh, we are on Stitcher. I like Stitcher to find podcasts there. Uh-huh. We're also on something called Spreaker. You ever heard of Spreaker, yeah. Jay Stone? Yeah, yeah. I, I listen to Spreaker. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. We're on there now, too. We're on there. We're spreading, spreading it out. It we're out. spreading our tentacles, my brother. That's right. And uh, remember, I always recommend the website, though. I love the website. That's www.acedoutpodcast.com. That's where you see the pics from the episode. Most definitely. And uh, there's just there's info there. It's a cool experience. You want to check it out. It's like the CD booklet. So check it out there. Please visit. And of course, we got listeners in New York, New York, J Stone. Mm-hmm. People in Brooklyn listening to us. People in Nashville, Florida, Louisiana. That's incredible. People in state of Washington listen to Aced Out Podcast. Y'all like the funk? Yeah, they like it in Kentucky. They love it in Texas. I heard it. Maryland, Oklahoma. Yeah. Oklahoma. What's up? And Ohio. O-H-I-O. <laughs> Player. But, you know, we're on the internet, so you don't have to be in America to listen to us. People in France listen to us. I mentioned that before. People in Granada. Wow. Germany. We seem to be pretty, we got a pretty steady audience in Germany. And also the Congo, believe it or not. That yes. always comes up. The Congo. Kenya. Yeah. Canada. Brazil. Peru. Mm-hmm. Nepal. No doubt. Actually, the Philippines. Yeah. Sierra Leone. And actually, there's a pretty good pocket of listeners out there in Vietnam. Wow. And Thailand. Wow. Y'all need to check in. Yeah. Ta- people from Thailand are pretty open-minded. I used to uh, be an uh, English as second language teacher. My Thai students, they're always happy. They're always cool. They would dye their hair green or something. Yeah. You know, they had a little more flavor. <laughs> um, but you know what? You remember what I was saying about France last time in episode five, how we, it was just blew up in France? Yeah. This time it was all about Japan. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. Episode four blew up in France. Episode five, the JW episode, was all about Japan. Okay. Uh, so many people from Japan listen to that episode. I don't know what's up with that, but it makes sense because I've gotten like uh, reissues from Japan. I remember Bootsy Collins, he wasn't mm-hmm. available in America for a while, and you could only get him from Japan. Oh, yeah, back in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there are uh, some strong Funketeer uh, representation in Japan. So, Hajime Mashite, Japan. That means pleased to meet you, Jay Stone. Hey, hey. And in the song, some people I like to throw in stuff like, Ongaku ga suki desu. That means I like music. That's right. ni. <laughs> <laughs> that means really. All right. And anyway, um, let's get to this episode. This is great. Joe Pep Harris. Um, Jay Stone, how do you think this interview went? I mean, man, it was very enlightening. And I mean, to work with Norman Whitfield and have that history from 1955 to 2019. I know. Come I on, know. Man. And he's still doing it. And he's a cancer survivor. <laughs> right. And he's out there doing it right now. And he has a brand new album. Um, check this out, Jay Stone. I, ch- I chose to do another deep cut. Yeah. And uh, you're going to love this song. This song is right up your alley. 
Um, on their last album, 1979, uh, it's called Smokin'. You guys, look for Smokin' by The Undisputed Truth. It is a banger. It is a banger. And there is a beautiful, super funk, stutter funk song on there called Space Machine. Ah. And this came out in 79, so, you know, Close Encounters has just yeah, come out yeah. and stuff, so people were grooving on it. This song is absolutely beautiful, and uh, you'll hear um, our brother Joe Pep Harris on the chorus here. And on the other side, we'll talk to him. What do you say? I'm with it. All right, man. We had a hard time getting Joe to calm down. He kept running around with his phone. We're like, hey, man. <laughs> he was on that cell phone. That's right. <laughs> anyway, you guys, this is Space Machine by The Undisputed Truth. Let's do it. to that beat. Wow. Listen to this chorus. You'll love this. Oh my God, that song gives me chills up my spine, Joe Pep Harris. That Space Machine from uh, that the album's yeah. titled Smokin', right? That's right. And you told me um, you like Smokin'. That was like the last Undisputed Truth album before this brand new one. You told me you like Smokin' because it was a little more collaborative. You know, um, Norman gave us, you know, he gave us a lot of... Um, uh, concept wise he we we participated a lot in uh trying to do what we do uh live mm -hmm. uh, i think at that particular time at that particular group you know he he trusted us i mean wow it was i mean i had some folks in that group herschel happiness <laughs> Come on. Wow. oh that's right herschel happiness is on that right right wow 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I am a lot of mercy. That was, I mean, William Kennedy, Trey Stone, Lord have mercy. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was a, it, it, those lines in that ad lib in the end, when Norman went and did a, a demo for me, and he did that line one time, and I had to go back down there and mimic it. It took me about an hour. <laughs> well, which line is that? Which line is that? Planning for sure. <laughs> you should have seen the expression on my co-host Jay Stone's face when he was hearing that song. That was right up his alley. <laughs> have you had uh, any UFO experience, Joe? Oh yeah. Say that again. Have you had any UFO? Uh, have you ever seen a UFO or you know had any contact or anything like that? Let me. Uh, you know what? I'm never getting into the middle of the conspiracies. But when I was with the Ohio players and we used to work in the South a lot, right. through those mountains at night, we used we stopped a few times to look at some stuff that didn't look like, you know, something that we were seeing day, in the daytime. You so know? what? <laughs> yeah. Oh my! I've Lord. had a lot of. Uh, I've seen a lot, and uh, I I I like that. You know what I mean? Nice, man. Hey, do me a favor, uh, Joe Pep. Keep your mouth right up to that phone, okay? And make sure we don't miss a, miss a word of this. Now, wait, wait a second. You said something that we got we to gotta pull back then. You're talking about when I was in the Ohio players just, like, leaving it out there. Like, it's no big deal. So wait a second here. So let's go back. We'll talk about, first of all, um, you were, it wasn't like the undisputed truth, like that was your big, uh, like that was your big breakout. You were already doing things, right? You were already doing the fabulous peps for a long time in front of other all kinds of groups. So first, oh, wow. let's talk about the fabulous peps. Going back to when did the fabulous peps form? Like '62 or something? Back out of high school, me and Mary Wilson graduated together from high school. You she won the. She won the Female Music Award, and I was awarded the Male Music Award that year. And that's in Detroit. That's right. Okay, great. Right. And, and you guys were you guys were compared to the Impressions. You had like really high energy shows, right? Well, you know, you know, we when we first we first started out, we were we we had something. We had a, an Isley Brothers kind of Midnighters kind of a, a show with a. With, with, with we did a lot of skits and dancing mm. and a lot of and later on a few years later we 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 were managed by uh, Martha Jean who was a disc jockey from Memphis who was coming to Detroit okay. and uh, she always had a theme Martha Jean and Roger Brown who played for the Detroit Lions and we sang a lot she she talked about the impression thing so we started singing a lot of impression songs. And it caught on, and we started adding impression songs into our act, and it became as big as any of the other things that we were doing. That we were turning flips, splits, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but when we impression songs, wow. I mean, they thought, it. <laughs> wow, so you're doing a workout, huh? Oh yeah, I mean, you know, let me, let me, let me, let me. This guy that used to um, used to be the um, the stage manager at manager at the Apollo Theater. He was in a couple of films. His name was Honey Combs. Mm -hmm. He was a dancer from the vaudeville days. And he was, you know, and um, he said, you know, he said he was in and out. Of, we, I think we maybe did maybe eight or nine appearances as the peps at the Apollo. And he said, I have never seen an act who came in here and ended their show with a ballad with people standing on there, standing up, some in their seats, 
and never end this show with another song that they didn't even recall. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. And let me, that song, your, your biggest hit was I've Been Trying, right? That was I've Been Trying. Let's hear a little bit of that just to give everybody a flavor of what we're talking about. This is I've Been Trying by the fabulous Peps. Joe Pep That's Harris. the said you did three weeks at the Apollo and straight, right? Our very first time we left the Detroit, we left Detroit. We were working 20, 10 nights at the 20 grand in Detroit with Chuck Jackson and Yvonne Fair. And the and 20 the show, grand, that's a, that's a famous club, by the way, everybody listening here. Yeah, that was, that was the spot then back in the day. And, um, and the show was so good. And that, uh, when the, after the end of the 10 days, Chuck asked us, if we would go with them on the rest of it, it was going on tour and it was going to New York to start the tour, which was going to be at the Apollo. <laughs> so, you know, we jumped on that. Oh, yeah. We Those audiences <laughs> could be tough, too, right? Let me tell you something. <laughs> they got a reason to be tough. Because when you go in the Apollo, yeah, you as an act, first of all, when we first went in there, the first time we went in there with Chuck Jack, we had seven minutes on the stage. We had to do what we had to do in seven minutes and be liked. Oh, my God. And be <laughs> remembered. <laughs> you know, so we, the first, so after that first week, uh, after the first week, we were, we were, we started to open the show. Mm-hmm. And, and I was talking about uh, uh, Honey Kong. He, what he did was when we, when the, after the very first show, he said that those guys can't open the show. Wow. You're kicking, <laughs> said, a, kicking ass, right? Because it took too long to build, for people to get warmed up to get to the headline act. So I could understand that. <laughs> hey, you know what, Joe Pep? I also love that song. I really like the song, I Can't Get Right, that you guys did. Uh, let's listen to a little bit of that. Yeah.
Yeah. Can't yes, get right, sir. me and my baby had a fight last night. Yes, sir. That was uh, that was recorded that uh, by Willie Mitchell. Those was the guys that was doing Al Green at that time. Mm, I know uh, that was the hookup we had with Martha Jean, who had just you left Memphis a year be a couple of years before that, mm-hmm. and uh, came to Detroit and became one of the top DJs out of Detroit. Wow, you guys sound great. But let me ask you a question, actually. Um... So, is there? Was it true you guys refused to sign to Motown or something? Like you didn't want to sign to Motown? Let me let me tell you the, the reason why. Yeah, Norman Whitfield, who was always a fan of the Peps, he was at all our shows a lot. Norman Whitfield, the great, very famous producer, heard it through the grapevine all the way through Temptations, Pop right. Was a Rolling Stone, time, and of he, course, he Undisputed told, Truth. He told us not to sign to Motown. Why's that? He said because Motown wanted to sh- to sit us down. Mm. Meaning, put him on the Meaning shelf. Meaning, Motown had the, had the groups that they were going to be. I mean, come on, they had the, the, the Temptations, the, the Contours, yeah. the, the uh, Four Tops. And then, so after that, you wound up in Ohio for a while, and yeah, right. and you were asked was, by uh, Satch, Clarence Satch, Satchel, J Stone. Mm-hmm. Uh, himself to uh, front what was called then the Ohio Untouchables. Is that correct? Well, I was, you know, now let me back up a little bit. Okay. During the, my stint with the Peps, we all, all, all of us in the Peps moved to Toronto. But in the, that, where I was living in Toronto, I was oh. still doing dates. I was doing dates with the Ohio Untouchables. Mm-hmm. And one of the dates that I did with the Ohio Untouchables was the last day that the Ohio Untouchables played together as a group. Okay. And after that, I did some more dates with Robert Ward here and there, and I did some dates with Satchinam, but they hadn't really formulated themselves to really do, but they took some dates and I fronted, it, fronted the band a couple of times. Gotcha. And then after about, a, about a, uh, six or seven, eight months, uh, Satchinam, uh, uh, called me and asked me to front the band. You know, I told him I was living in Toronto. He said, well, we're going to be working and going on tour, but we needed a front. I guess the guy at the production company told them they already had another guy there. He told them that they needed another singer because they had seen, they didn't want, you know, they didn't want the band to be put into one kind of a category. They wanted to be a little different from cool in the game, but they wanted cool to have game. a front. And like Sam and Dave was fronting the band. Mm-hmm. See, so before they got big, they got hit record, and then they became, you know, what they became. But you know, they, back then, if you had a great band, you was you had the possibilities to be a very, very good artist, especially one that was going to work. And that was uh, I learned that watching Edwin Starr when he was Charles Hatchet a long time ago. I mean, everywhere he went, he had a good band. I was mm-hmm. like, dang. Okay, so that was the key. We recorded an album and did some other things, and I was kind of on the outs with them because they signed a contract, and I didn't sign the contract with the production company that they did that with. Again, you didn't you sign know, a contract. I mean, excuse me, say that again? Uh, once again, you didn't sign a contract. No, I didn't sign the contract. Let me ask you this then. So... You seem you sound like a shrewd businessman. You got a career. Everybody's asking you to front groups. Things are going great. Um, how do we get to 
the undisputed truth then. Um, I know that Norman Whitfield used told me he wanted a group of with no backing singers where all the singers were formidable. And so right. he he got the two, the, the two, two singers who were the delicates, uh, right. Billy Calvin and Brenda B.J. Evans, and they were doing singing for Motown, right? right. And also right. he has you to join. So tell me how all that came together and um, what Norman okay. Whitfield uh, proposed to you. Well, we write in that avenue because it, after I was um, creatively let go by the Ohio players because of well, let me let me just state it so won't nobody restate it. Sure. And when I was when I was with Sachinem, we had a different band. Period. A different drummer and a different guitar player. Mm. Okay, so I did some dates with them, and then they got some guys locally, and some guy from Youngstown, and they was they, you know those guys were very good. And they, it wasn't going to be but a minute before they had a good band to put together, and they did. They got a good band to put together, and they got a drummer that they used who, who got Sugarfoot and brought Sugarfoot. Sugarfoot okay. immediately t- turned into the to the entity for the band because the good guy player that they had before, Robert Ward, I mean, he was one of the most formidable guitar players in the country at that time, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, that fitted right in line with what they had been doing. But at that time, everybody was following all the bands except Cool in the gang and those kind of guys that had their own kind of uh, record uh, kind of history going. But we're trying to be Wilson Pickett and and, and James Brown, mm-hmm. you know. And you know, and I didn't been on shows with both of them as with the Peps. I didn't want to be either one of them. I do <laughs> some of this and do some of that. Yeah. And when I did a a little of both of them and a few other people when I when I was singing with the Ohio players, everywhere we went the people were very they were very entertained. Because when I first met the Ohio players, they show was a blues show. Yeah. I mean you the da 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 and everywhere they went, the place was jam-packed. And they played sometimes behind Bobby Bland when he came to town without his band, and James Brown without his band. Right. They started with the with the, uh, the the Falcons with that record, I Found a Love. And that was the band on there. That's the first time they was released. And, and that was because it was very popular down in Ohio and in the South. Ooh, okay. But how do we get to they, Undisputed Truth, though? Okay, so I mixed that. I didn't want to be James Brown and uh, uh, Wilson, Pickett. Wilson Pickett. So they said that that's the way that they were going to go. Satch and them were my friends, and they said, well, you know, Greg is the lead. And I said, okay, so, I, you know, I was crushed. So I had to work. So at this mm. particular time, even Evansville, uh, uh, Indiana, and so I said, well, I'm going through Louisville because I worked in Louisville a lot for Harvey. I called Harvey, and he gave me a gig there for two weeks. And the band there were called Nightlighters. Oh, okay, the Nightlighters, so, yeah. So in that two weeks with the Nightlighters, a guy, partner of mine who owned a club in, in Toronto, wanted me to come to Toronto with the Ohio players. I told him I wasn't with the Ohio players. I was with another band. He said, well, then I still want you to come, though. 
Right on. So I was so I left there with the Buffalo with the nightlife for to Toronto and that in Toronto the guy from the twenty grand called and said, I want y'all to come to the into Detroit. So, you know, so we boom, we, we went all around that first time out, we got to Detroit and we were opening up the twenty grand ten days after uh Bobby Taylor. And Norman Whitfield came in. He was there mostly every night, except the last night he didn't come. Clay wow. McMurray, who was another producer at Motown and friend of Norman's, who wrote that song, If I Were Your Woman, mm-hmm. and that and that first hit on Spider Turner. He, well, he didn't write it. He produced that first hit on Spider Turner, uh, Stand By Me. Uh, he came in and he asked me, he said, well, uh, Norman asked me to come by and see if he, if I could get you to come by his office tomorrow morning, that Monday, on Woodward. I said, of course, you know. And at that time, you know, how can I say no? Norman got four or five songs in the top ten charts. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I went by there. I didn't know. I knew he had something on his mind, you know, but I didn't have any idea what it was going to be about because when he, when he asked me, you know, the, the way he asked me and the way he presented it to me, he told me that he was putting something together that he figured that I would be the person that could make it work. Wow. So I had never said the females before. He was set you know? on he was set on the females, uh he was set on a female vocalist as well, like from the, the jump from the beginning. The undisputed truth. Yeah. The way we were comprised. There was no pattern of another group being like that. Uh, uh, Gladys Knight was 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 it's a female with three singers. So I was in in the back of male with two singers, but they sang me too. None of the guys in the in the pits sang me. Right. So that so it was a unique uh it was a unique lineup uh from the jump. I see what you're saying. Yeah, and we were concepting ourselves on the on like uh, like a fifth dimension in Slidestone mm. at that time. So we wanted to have a little classy funk. You know, and and uh, in a Motown umbrella. Got you. And uh, speaking of that, let's uh, let's hear uh, the tune, the tune uh, that made it all happen from the the opening uh, 1971 self-titled debut, "Smiling Faces Sometimes." And we'll talk about this on the other side. Now that song is so near and dear to so many people's hearts. What um, 
what was it like? Uh, what did Norman ever hip you to like the lyrics? Like, uh, what inspired that song, or where were you? What were you guys coming from with a song like that? Because it's such, it's got such a positive message, but it's like a warning. It's not. Um, it's very, it's very, it's very serious. Like it's, it wants a positive result, but it's really trying to warn you about things out there. It's very like, you know, kind of social commentary. It's, it's a life lesson. Yeah. It's a life lesson. Everybody say, oh yeah. Everybody has been disappointed, you mm-hmm. know, tricked in some form or another where they, when it happens to them, they say, yeah, you know, you, you've been snaked. Oh yeah. You know, somebody told you a lie and you were very disappointed about it. But at that particular time, there was a lot of things going on at Motown and nothing was saying that, uh, that was what he was in the middle of at Motown. And you have to understand the atmosphere. I mean, when I walked into Motown, it was, I mean, the, the, the competitiveness. I mean, you said the, it was cutthroat, I mean, right? <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. Come on. I mean, you know, people <laughs> wanted to, wanted to write and produce for the Jackson Five. Sure. People want to write and produce. And Norman was hearing a lot of stuff about, oh, yeah, Norman Whitfield, they didn't call him the producer and the a writer of the year. But look how he got there. If it wasn't for Smokey, then he wouldn't have did. They said a lot of things. And Norman's contract was up in Motown. So he was debating what he wanted to do. And plus, he had, when I got there, he had some opportunities already offered to him. Mm. You know, and those were some of the things at first he asked me not to say anything about. You know, and because I questioned, I was like, um, he said, well, if you sign the Motown, then I'm coming back. So what made you want to sign to Motown? He was the guy that originally told you not to sign. Well, well, at this time, when he, he was giving me all the guarantees, he was he was going to resign. And he was going to be the manager of the group, so to speak. So that meant. Mm-hmm. He had first say and last say on any and everything for the group. He told me that there was not going to be anybody producing from the group but him unless I applied it. He told me, and that, and that was to keep me from having a lot of songs, you know, recorded by everybody because you know once you get a hit a hit record, everybody will record something on you, whether the song goes out or not. Mm-hmm. But when it comes down to paying for those sessions, the artist is the first person that's charged. Mm. And let me ask you something. How did you how did you all get on you three, especially after this this successful? I mean, it, it legitimized the group, right? The whole choice to do this group. You guys come out the box and you do something so deep and powerful. How did you got the three of you get on as a group? Did you get along? Well, let me let me just say like, let me just say it how it is because you know, ain't gonna never tell a lie. Okay, like the four tops, every note and every. Every attitude of the songs, the way they have to be in harmony, you have to be in harmony all the time. Right. So you have to live like that. So, I mean, at first, we, of course, we got along. The girls did not know me. I had the opportunity to see them because they were with Bobby Taylor. Uh. They were with Bobby Taylor before we opened up that next weekend. They was ending on that Sunday. Right. And we, we had just gotten into town from Toronto uh, that's that Sunday morning, and uh, I caught the show that night. And uh, yeah, I saw them perform, but they had never seen me; only heard of me. Uh. When Norman uh, 
I told them that I got the perfect person, what were they going to say? Right, <laughs> right. Norman Whitfield said, I have the perfect person, so they're not going to fuss and fight on that, right? Yeah, when he, when he told he said, listen, I think I got one more hit in me. He said, I know everybody here want a hit record. And he said, and that's all I can guarantee. I'm guaranteeing you a hit record. And he asked me, he said, if there's anything that you heard here that I've done that you like and you may want to do it, let me know. He gave me that. Per- but I never said anything, you know, because, I mean, I was really fixated on the Temptations version of Smiling Faces. Eddie was a friend of mine, and I just understood it. But, I, you know, I never... I never took it from anything more than what it was when Eddie was doing it. But I like that. I'm a singer, a performer. I like that 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 frame that he put that story in, even with Eddie. Ah, so you like that version, huh? Oh, well, see, I understood what it was. He was framing this. This see, in that in, in those days, we would people were trying to music that were going to be something that you can frame in your lifetime, right. you know. And what Norman got good at was doing a second version. One version, let the, he let the music be his inspiration. He usually let the music be his inspiration unless he have a, a hook like heard it through the grapevine. Mm-hmm. Mm. So this time, when, he, when I told him, I, he never said anything to me about it again. And I heard this, I heard the track. And he's like, he said, man, I was like, dang, that's the heck of track. He said, that's track. He said, that's y'all's track. I was wow. like, okay. And I was like, the day that we were going in to record, he said, we're going to do Smiling Faces. But I just couldn't fathom that because it wasn't sounding like him. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know, and we went in and, and we listened that first day and, you know, and they were doing some 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 overdubs on some of the other parts that he had already started on. And that was the only the only time that was the very first time that I was really actually in the studio when he was cutting any of the things that we did in that first album. That was the first time. Got it. All those other things were tracks he had had. Got it. And he would go and um, he's, and he'd say, to my family, go down there and sing this and do that to this track and do that track. And I know that he was just getting voice prints on me, mm-hmm. you know, and finding keys and find, trying to find something in a key that was something that I wasn't used to. But what he did on Smiling Faces, he told me not to pay any attention to Eddie. He Got said, we're going to start cutting think him. about it. Yeah, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna say, you know, we're going to, uh, and we're going to go start cutting tomorrow. <laughs> but nice. you know me, I went home and I listened to Eddie all night. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and uh, as things as things progressed, um, I really like um, that, that self-titled debut is great, but actually the the joint for me, the, the album I really like, I really like Face to Face with the Truth. Um, that album is just great. I really think you guys got into something. And let's listen to a little bit of You Make Your Own Heaven and Hell Right Here on Earth. There it is. Mm-hmm. Take your time. Born into this world of baby, your mind is clear as the air. You learn to walk and talk. 
Stone, uh, uh, Joe Pep, he told me a funny story about this song. He said oh, yeah? they were on tour <laughs> with the Jackson 5. Yeah. And when they would, they, you know, Jackson 5, they're like kids, you know, they're yeah. all excited to run around. He said when they played this song, they all shut up. They all sat down. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you talk about heaven or the devil, little kids, they, they pack up. They don't want to go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, right, Joe Pep? Well, you know, there's power, there's power in quietness. The bass would come on in the front, doom, doom, oh yeah, doom. and you got a you got twenty five to thirty thousand Jackson Five fans in every receipt, and they shut up. Wow. <laughs> Whoa, that's heavy. And that's they ain't power. Saying, not saying nothing. You know, so everything is a hushing there. Soaking and in. And if I was a Jackson Five, I would be like, "Who got my shoe? Got this place this quiet?" <laughs> we did the whole ninety day tour with them without, you know, some groups after that just said couldn't do it mm-hmm. because. What do you mean some groups we, couldn't do it? Well, they went. Well, the first time that we went to to see them, they had a Motown group opening up for for them, and all the while they was on that stage, they was the kids were saying, "We want to Jackson." Oh. <laughs> I understand. And one of the guys in the Jackson Five, you know, you know, came out and you know talked to him, and you know had to do that. Dang, right? You know, the talking to. I, I, <laughs> I told him to settle down. <laughs> Let me pull you aside for a minute. <laughs> Ask me how was I going to get over that hump? Right. You got a number one record. And you're going on tour with the number one group in the world. You got to come with it. He said, so, but how you going? He said, but you're going to be in front of their fans. Mm-hmm. So I knew that, <clears throat> first of all, I wasn't going to come out there dry. Right. And if I don't work with Sam and Dave, if I don't work with Otis Redding, and I, dun, 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 <laughs> So you know. Right. And that's how we opened the show. That, that, that'll get us. On fire. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that Norman wrote some stuff, and then Norman saw the band, and right. then he got him up. So we, 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 we were good. That was Norman writing the lyrics? That was the last yeah. year. That lyrics. was the last year that the Jackson 5 used their relatives in that band. After uh, that, they went they went just to the next level. Hey, Joe, uh, uh, Jay was asking you a question. Go ahead. Uh, he's, Norman is, is lyric writer and music, huh? Oh yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he, he, the, the, the movie Car Wash. I mean, after before I left Motown, in fact, I had an opportunity to be in the movie. But I mean, that wasn't something that I was trying to do, really. Uh, you said you read I mean, that script and you were like, "Nah." He didn't write it, but he rewrote it. Uh-huh. I mean, when we started looking at the script and had to do the music for it, you know, we was like, "Well, I mean, ain't nothing happening." So you said you said. Uh, you said Norman put Richard Pryor in the movie. He wrote he wrote things that created a scene and that caused for a character. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and he wrote it and they went and got Richard Pryor. Wow. And the Pointer Sisters too. The point and the Pointer Sisters. 
Yeah. And so all those things that he was doing, you can see what Norman did. I mean, everything, when you saw those guys up there, up under that, he said, who want to see somebody in, the, in there working, watching the tide? He ain't, ain't no rhythm when you put it to music. He, he changed all that to music. He changed all that stuff. Wow. He was like a real forward thinker. He, that was, he was he was in his you know you know how you have a a a, a, a lifetime wish and mm. all of a sudden you get an opportunity to do the template. Mm. I mean, and he did and that was his template, and he got nominated for Academy Award. Wow, man! Wow, it's still in the it's in a cult film now. Yeah. Oh yeah, car wash. Oh God, it's classic, certified mm-hmm. classic. Yeah. And hey. then we did almost every Richard Pryor film after that. Yeah, right. Because you did uh, what's it, Bustin' Loose or um, Which Way Is Up? Which Way Is Up? Yeah, Which Way Is Up? <laughs> I love that film. That's where Richard Pryor plays like three characters. Uh... Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> That's a great movie. Hey, check this out. Oh, okay. Speaking of that, let's check out another. I have some questions about this because this gets into some serious musicians, uh, Jay Stone. Okay. Let's listen to. Um, so later on, uh, Undisputed Truth, they did album Law of the Land, and then they did another one. Uh, down to earth, and I love this song. Listen to this. Uh, oh help yourself, everybody. Help yourself by the undisputed truth. Gotta do some of that Sly Stone. Yeah. <laughs> my lyric i love that hey uh joe you said uh wah wah watson you said he was like a fourth member of undisputed truth back back then never heard, you never heard an undisputed truth record without wah wah Watson. nice and why why was it again that he like he was so you know kind of attached so spiritually to the band where he just wanted to work with the band like that what was it about because, that? let me tell you what happened at the you know at the time that we when we came to 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 Motown, <clears throat> music was changing, mm-hmm. especially at Motown. Motown just, you know, they, they were caught in that thing of everybody just continually doing what they do. We we came in doing something a little different. Right. And, and it was very controversial for me doing a rap thing and a rap, you know, and, and talking about and being political and all that kind of stuff. You yep. know, they didn't even want, they didn't even want Marvin Gaye to do what's going on. Hmm. Right, they didn't want any. Barry Gordy wasn't feeling that, right? Yeah, he didn't. That wasn't his. That wasn't his concept, you know. But 
you know, Norman was saying, you know, it's a new day, a new world, and the whole the things change. You got to, you got to. He say, I, the temptations change. And when we came in there, you saw the temptations start wearing those leather strip right. and the leather those hats and all that sacred because he was he, Norman's head was influenced by what we was doing, and he wanted that change to be evolved around everybody. It wouldn't stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of us, all of us. When you saw those CDs and those things we did, war, stop the war, all those things, we just stayed in that concept because. And David Ruffin told me a long time ago. My first, uh, got was getting out there really good with the press. Mm-hmm. You know, y'all got a great act. Mm-hmm. He said, but y'all kind of hard, you know. And he said, when I mean when I say hard, he say you got to be, you got to put some feminists in it. I mean, he's saying the feminist is just is what it's going to do. Got to put some what in it? Some what? Feminist. You know, in other words, we were we, we were what we were doing on stage was like weightlifting. Too masculine. You know, in other words, <laughs> you got to put some pretty boy in it on purpose. Got it. Pretty boy in it on purpose. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know how those poses get on them rock bands. They stand up there and put those in there in those positions, but they don't change their voice. Right. right. <laughs> 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 now I saw I saw I saw David Bowie. You know he can get away with it. I saw him on a Saturday Night Live old clip last night, and I just shook my head because I recognized. But he can do it. Yeah. David Bowie, you know, yeah. one of those cats that just stand up there and pose and ain't be, and don't be saying nothing. Yeah. <laughs> when I got back to Detroit, there was a guy. He's an historian. He was on one of the TV shows, and they were talking about history of Detroit and all those things. And I just happened to be watching the TV this day. And he was saying that everybody's talking about the 20 grand ad, pictures of the 20 grand. And he said, and he said, one of the favorite spots, the 20 grand came from the flame show bar to the 20 grand, which was always the staple part of the inner city club. He said, and in the 20 grand was an expansion of the flame and the biggest club for major acts came and the record for 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 attendance in a tw- ten day stand at the twenty grand was the dramatics and the undisputed truth. Wow! And the dramatics had in uh, wow. uh, in the rain, mm-hmm. and they had uh, um, what you see is what you get. We had smiling faces, mm-hmm. and Dennis Coffee was the lead guitarist. Don Davis used. On on the dramatics, that you can hear that same guitar yeah. that you're hearing on uh, smiling faces and the things that we was doing. Only Wawa was added, so we, so that show happened to be a consequence of a records of our records and sound, mm-hmm. and the fact that we were both in Detroit at the same time and. For 10 days, you could not get tickets to go and see that show. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Hey, everybody, let's uh, tell you what, uh, Joe Pep, I w- let's take a little bit of a breather, and I want to I hype up your new record, because we're not okay. just talking about history, we're talking about right now. And everybody, yeah. uh, the, un- the, real- the com website, that's the real undisputed. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. That's the real undisputed truth dot com. Excuse me. <laughs> Sorry, it's a little early in the morning here in California. Um, and uh, they got a brand new album, and it's called "The Truth Gone Set You Free." You hear me, y'all? The truth gone set you free. This this album title couldn't be more relevant in this day and age. <laughs> I'm talking about <laughs> right now, and I. Uh, 
Let me tell you about a song title that couldn't be more relevant. You can't run from yourself. <laughs> there's some people there's some people out there that need to listen to this song, Joe Pep. Let's listen to a little bit of this. This is brand new. This is brand new. Happening right. right now. This is called Come You on, Can't me. Run From Yourself and it's very relevant. Let's hear some. Stone. That's funky. Oh, I know. That's sick, right? <laughs> we need it now. Uh, Jay Stone, I was going to tell you, you know, um, one of the OG Undisputed Truth members, Brenda B.J. Evans, B.J. Uh-huh. Evans, she left the group and she was out of the group for, you know, you know, she left and she never came back. You mm-hmm. know? She's in the group now. So that, she's in the group now. She's okay. one of the members now. So original member back in. Dope. And uh, what, what's that like, Joe Pep? You you always ask her to return to the group after all this time, right? And man, 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 man. Yeah, people don't really understand that when you create a brand, yeah, it's like I I I I, I used to. I mean, Dennis Edwards were very close, you know, and <clears throat> and I used to ask him all the time, especially when he was on he was on the on the on the grind trying to re rebrand himself his <laughs> review group that he had, he say, man, you know, it, he say, it's like starting all over. He say, he say, but the thing about it is when you got some people that you, uh, that you feel like is worth, uh, doing it with, then it's worth doing it. He say, but uh, he said, it it's not easy. You know, so in and other I know words, I understand I mean, what you're saying. So in other words, you're talking about coming back to this 
coming back to this project, coming back to doing this, it's like almost like just starting a brand new group all over. Just the music business changed so much. So if you, but if you have some people in your corner that you know, like family, it, it, it keeps you moving yeah, and motivates right. you, and, right? She and I started this with a concept. I mean, and you know, and we had a lot of support that most acts, black acts, never get. Norman Whitfield was a. I mean, I can't even tell you. I mean, it, it couldn't have happened without him. No kind of way. Right. Rose Royce. Yeah. Rose Royce, no kind of way. Right. None. You know, I mean, he 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 did not question nothing. Anything I told him we need, it was it was there. Damn. Never. You're easy, just like that. What else? What y'all need? Yeah. I mean, we went to we rehearsed it at our hour six days a week, like it was a job. Yeah. Nice. I like to hear that. Wow, I'm jealous yeah. of that. The 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 next period, uh, and Jay Stone, this is you're gonna like this. The okay. next period of undisputed truth, you really got into. <laughs> well, it's, it's really funkadelic. It's really um, badass. And uh, this one song you did, Overload, on the album Higher Than High. Uh, I swan- <laughs> I know you're laughing. Let's listen to a little bit of this because this is just some some cold cold funk. This is cold Medina that's right here. Right, right, right. Wait, hold on. Let's listen. I'll ask you on the other side. So check this out though. They were gonna they worked that up. They were gonna sell that to uh Mick Jagger. What? That's what he was saying. Hey, you co wrote that, didn't you? You co wrote that? Yeah, Norman Whitfield. He was trying to he was trying to do some stuff for Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger told him he wanted the song. He said, Okay. I can see him <laughs> so singing that. Norman used to run around with the guy in, in Hollywood that was managing uh Led Zeppelin. Okay. Led Zeppelin? And he and he kept telling Norman, he was like Man, you got a good feel, but you know that you ought to write some of these stuff. And I was like, "Oh man, come on! I'll write my songs, and y'all sing them the way y'all sing." You know what I mean? <laughs> but I can't aim at it. You're saying that Norman Whitfield, he kind of needed the artist in order to create, in order to write. He didn't like write something and say, "Like here, you sing it." He would kind of need to. He'd need a muse. He need an artist to write, right? Okay, let me let me let me get, let me let me put the picture right in your face. Please do. You remember? Remember? I wish it would rain. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. uh, absolutely. 
take the music away from it and listen to David Ruffin. Mm-hmm. That's what he'd be wanting. Take a good, anything, and he'll tell you anything with Gladys Knight. Mm-hmm. He said, I don't have to tell Gladys nothing. He said, Gladys tell me when I'm right. She said, we did it. Gotcha. She, you know, he said, she's like, oh, like you just said that she, I, like, I feel you, you know. She said, look, he did Grapevine first on Marvin Gaye. Right. It was a hit on Gladys before Marvin was ever released. Yeah. Oh, is that true? I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you know Gladys heard Marvin. But, I mean, Barry did not, you know, he didn't think that's what Marvin should be doing. You know, I ain't kind of, you know, I make that song, ain't the kind of, it's not a hit. Yeah. It's not a hit. <laughs> <laughs> He's thinking, I'm human shit. Hey, you know, and I learned, and I called something right, and I called something wrong. Right. <laughs> so, we're still betting 95 out of 100. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, you know, so he said, so, you know, and that's how I get to be. He said, maybe that made your song bigger, but it's been the longest number one uh, Motown song. I mean, Liz, I can remember. Right. Heard through the grapevine. Yeah. Nothing's bigger yeah, than that one. Yeah. Hey, um, yeah. everybody listen to the Sound of My Voice, listen to Ace Out Podcast. <laughs> I, I think um, uh, a hidden gem or not so hidden gem, something that's really good. I really like the Cosmic Truth album by Undisputed Truth. Um, oh, yeah. what you've heard of Cosmic Slop, but we also got Cosmic Truth. Mm-hmm. And this song actually, I think, is spoiled for riches as far as like songs to pick. I had a hard time actually picking which songs to play because I, I just think the whole thing's good. So I just want to highly recommend this particular one. Uh, let's get a taste. How about uh, Earthquake Shake, uh, DJ Ways? Let's check that out. <laughs> and uh, I'm, are you ready for this, Jay Stone? Oh, man. What? <laughs> Listen to that. Hey, 
What's the lineup of this version of the Undisputed Truth? Because it sounds like it's all fellas. No, we had one female in the group. Okay. Um, that was the group, uh, and, and actually, uh, uh, that group used to be stable mates with me. Without the female, the female took a guy's place who used to be the lead singer of that group. They were called the Magic Jones, mm-hmm. and they were out of, they were out of Detroit. And I remember one day when Norman and I were leaving his office, and they were sitting outside the Motown building, and they were waiting for Norman. And when Norman came out, he was talking to him, and they was he was telling them that he was going to L.A. and that <clears throat> I was probably going to be moving out there. But they had to make a deal with me. And if they was going to do anything, he was going. They needed to be out there, so they drove out there. Mm-hmm. So when I got out there, uh, um, uh, I had no group, and um, uh, they were there, and I had to record. So Norman said, "Well, why don't you use time, the guys? You know, so so when we just talked about that, and he said, "Why don't you just just use them as a group, and so I can concentrate on that." So I went along with that. We talked about how we were going to concept the five of us. Mm-hmm. So that was that was all our concept. And uh, but they were from Detroit, and they had, in fact, um, that's the same group that uh, when the, they sang for Ed Wingate. And one of the biggest things that they did was that song, the background on that song for the that, the Fantastic Four. Baby, baby, I love you madly. That's oh. that group. Mm. Wow. The, they had a, quite a few local hits in Detroit as the Magic Tones. Nice. And I saw the album cover. I like the the inside album jacket. The five of you, your faces painted and everything. Is this? Oh, and let's uh, you know what? Let's check out another one, man, because I just love this album, Lil Red Riding Hood. My jam. That's my jam. <laughs> this is your jam. Uh-oh. That's my jam. Uh-oh. I get some Ohio player in this. Yeah. Ohio players. Yeah. That's the Ohio players kind of bad. Hmm. I'm just realizing it sounds like there was a fretless bass on there. That was that was actually a sick bass line. 
Man, hey, let me you told you me when I when I asked now, you. you oh, know, go ahead, go ahead. You go ahead. Those musicians there, mm-hmm. those most those guys in that particular in those sessions there, end up being uh, LTD. Oh, oh. right. Okay. My, those that didn't record record with me, they were going on the road with me. They were in my band. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they end up, they got a deal, Jeffrey, and they got some more guys from Chicago that came in. They, you know, they they were from Chicago. Uh, Johnny McGee, the guitar player, that's who you're in on that with Wawa. And um, uh, they did the la- they, they they were doing the tour with me when I um, um, found Gwen Dickey. That was their la- that was the last of them working with me mm-hmm. after I. Found- and Dickie, they came. We came back to LA, and I retooled. Uh, uh, we started going with the records because Norman was just getting ready, just getting, just about uh, able to get me out. I was still uh, under my contract with Motown. Mm-hmm. See, okay, I was still under contract with Motown because that group there, that was the last of that particular group. And after that, I used. I came back and I ended up using Taco Boom. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I think uh, when Taco Boom joined, and Taco Boom is Shaka Khan's sister, right? Yeah, right. When right. Taco Boom mm-hmm. joined, I really liked the uh, the stuff the Undisputed Two uh, did with them. Oh, it sounds great. Um, let, let's let's you let's check me. out. One. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was a hit, right? Right. Right. You plus me. That was the hit. Which we had a nice, a lot of nice with Taco. Yeah, man, that's great. And also, how about uh, let's check out Hole in the Wall? Cause I, I'm oh a... yes, <laughs> <laughs> you like that? starting to get the idea that the undisputed truth is not just all about smiling faces sometimes i mean god the catalog and the library and all the versions of this group and joe you you're the mainstay you were you've been in the group the whole time right you're you're the consistent 
one from beginning to end. I'm not quitting. We don't want you to quit. Oh, my God. Got the fire there. Uh, any Anything you remember in particular uh, working on that album? Uh, the Method to the Madness album I'm talking about, 1976. Man, I mean, that was, wow, that was, that was a... That was a, a great experience, I'm telling you. Um, and that to the madness. That's a great song, too. on some of that stuff with Taka and then they was there for that uh uh smoking album with Marcy. Oh great. Yeah, yeah. And uh Herschel Herschel Happiness. Um how did he get in the how did he come in the picture? How did he get in there? Did he was he a Motown recording artist or something or No, I had my musician friends, you know, that was in the group when I when when I used to uh have uh uh, uh openings in the band, mm -hmm. I would let the guys in the band you know, find guys that they could work with. When you're right. around Norman, whatever it is, Norman uh, Norman wants somebody that he can use in that studio. Yeah. You know, you don't just, you ain't, you don't want nobody just gigging. You know, you yeah. you got to be creative and be able to, you know, so that, I mean, so that we can be able to create, he's, we had a Motown attitude. Right. You know, he wanted to create something that was, that you know, that directly related to him. Mm -hmm. You know, and what he was doing, he was doing and right. um, uh, we had a couple of musicians that was working with us. And uh, when those spots came open, one of one of the guys, uh, Jimmy McKinney, who's a keyboard player, mm -hmm. he talked about Herschel was was available, and Herschel wanted to do something. So Herschel came, and he stayed with me. And then he was while we was talking, you know, he was around saying, "I got to get a new drummer." He yeah. said, "My brother played drums," <laughs> and yeah. I said, well, "Let's Most get him. Let's get him." So, <laughs> So we had uh, Herschel and his brother. They stayed with me for a while. I was living in Palos Verdes, and they lived with me for a while. Wow. And okay. then after we got through with the recording and was going in the SRR to put those things, to put the shows together, they got their own place down in Redondo Beach. And uh, and that was, you know, and it was a nice little run right there. I mean, that was a super band. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jay, you just reminded me, sometimes we use so much shorthand when we're mentioning these names, because I just want to make sure we're teaching people and educating the listeners. We're talking, we're talking about guys from Graham Central Station. Yes, Later sir. on, we're in Graham Central Station. That's why we're taking note of these musicians. Yeah, the names Happiness are, and Jimmy. Yeah. Jimmy plays with them now. I don't have, uh, in undisputed truth, I don't have uh, musicians. I mean, I don't have some of the best musicians in the world. Mm -hmm. Eddie Hazel. Oh, man. Uh, 
What did, what did Eddie Hazel play on? What did Eddie Hazel play on? Uh, like a Rolling Stone. And okay. we did a, a Bob Dylan cover. I mean, Damn. Tiki on that timing on that. Him and Norman worked that out. You know, wow. You're saying Tiki Forwards on that? Pull that up right now. Yeah, drums on that. Mm-hmm. Jay, you gonna pull yeah. that up on your phone? <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, I like the shit. Hey, um, let me ask you since you since you mentioned um since you mentioned smoking, let's go ahead and play on that one now. According to when I was looking, I was doing some research. You know, Marcy Thomas, you mentioned she's a singer on this. She sounds great. Yeah, she, I saw Marcy something Thomas. that she she actually goes by the name Lyrica Garrett. And, Lyrica uh, Garrett. She used to be in Iket. She was in the Ike and Tina Turner review. Nice. So anyway, let's check out. This is uh, Marcy Thomas, um, and this is a song called Showtime. And this song is just crazy. I mean, oh my god. This song will wake you up. I defy you not to smile listening to that right there. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. And again, that's this. That's the same album. Uh, at the top of the show, we played that song, uh, Space Machine. That's the same album. Mm. And I love that record. And um, you said you like it too, so I was glad to hear that. Oh, yeah, that's one of my favorites. I mean, you know what? I've never done any project. Every project that I've done with Norman Whitfield, even when they weren't my project, he, he made an entity out of them. He made it a right. You know, and you know, Everything about you know was just one mundane. Just was a mundane. You know, so, and hey, let me can can I ask you something? Um, I forgot to ask earlier. Um, so, no, I always when I always read about Norman Whitfield, he's always like controversial. Could he be like temperamental? Uh, I know he. You said he got blackballed. He like threatened Mo Austin or something. Could he be like kind of crazy sometimes when you work with him? Or let me give you a gist of him so that you can, because I really can't describe him. First of all, let me just say he real. I mean, and he, and he real and he's set in his ways to a certain extent, but he's very intelligent. He's, he's, 
he's mixed. He's a black. He's a black brother with the with, the, with white in him, mm-hmm. and it comes with him. Mm-hmm. You know, his, his mom and dad. That mom and dad were uh, were biracial. Mm-hmm. First, his father was biracial on his side of the family, and his mom on her side. Of the oh, family. they his oh. his parents were biracial as well. Yes. Oh. So you know, and he had a lot of that white in him, but he was black. Right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he was one hundred percent black. Yeah. And he was the, he was actually the easiest person to work with. All you had to do is come ready to work like he worked. If you came in there to work, mm-hmm. it was on. I mean, have, you're gonna have a good time. If you came in there and uh, you know it was about something other than that, you he was put you out. I don't care who it was. You gotta go. He start. He tried to start his own record company. That was wasn't that an independent release? That last album. Yeah, um, we did. I mean, we did all that. All, all that stuff we did at Whitfield Records. When Norman had ideas and did things with folks that work in there, he made it. He wanted. He wanted everybody to to be able to move up. Everybody to to be a part of something, you know. And some guys who had no intentions on being in a group ended up in groups. Mm-hmm. Right. You know. So, I mean, and, and he was, he said, it's business, you know, come on, if you're going to create this, because you will create it so you can go and we don't have to worry about somebody paying us to record you. We're making money. We can record ourselves. We're making enough money to do what we want to do. Those were things that we he was teaching and, and folks would, you know, they would get to that point where folks were learning that. Right. So, I mean, it was a lot of folks that were coming out of that school of Whitfield, you know, that went on to do a lot of stuff, you know, and... And a lot of folks had opportunities to really, you know, to to expand their career. The guy that played uh, uh, drums for Michael Jackson when he first came to California, he was in the studio with us, in the in the rehearsing with us to be with us, and Michael got it. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow! He <laughs> was almost our drummer. He <laughs> was almost Sugarfoot. Sugarfoot. Wow. Yeah. Let me ask. Let me ask you, Joe. Um, so you went through a period. I'm trying to understand this. You were uh, you were working with George Clinton, and uh, mm-hmm. you kind, you said you ran around with him for about ten years, and you were winning awards like doing music for like Tracy Ullman show and Jay Stone. I'll see in a clip. There's this old 1988 like Keanu Reeves movie, like right. one of those you know like uh, high school movies. It's right. called uh, The Night. Um, the night before. The night before, yeah, 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 with Bootsy and everybody. Keanu Reeves' first movie. Joe was involved was with that. Joe was involved with that. Tell me about that period. What was going on? How did you get involved with like TV and film, like you know, music? How me and my on partner Trey Stone, we were we were writing and producing, doing some stuff for a lot of folks undercover. Because I mean, well, especially for Norman. But after we got blackballed with Norman, <laughs> we couldn't do nothing in L.A. And I ran into George after Atomic Dog came out. Mm-hmm. And George said, man, come on, they gave me a break, man. I'm trying to re-team and retool, and I'm 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 going to step it up, and I want to, I'm going to need you guys to be with me. And I was I was telling him, I said, well, I'm I'm on my way to Detroit anyway because I'm going to do some stuff in there for Don David. Mm-hmm. He said, so good. Hook up when we get when when we get back to Detroit, both of us. One day, Don's brother, who does all of Don's business work, you know, he heard us, overheard us talking about you being in the studio the night before with George. And he said, George in town recording? And I said, yeah, we was in the studio with him the other night. 
He said, well, George, oh, tell George he, he still got a, a bill over here, and he can come back over here and record and bring that money he making now and pay on his old bill. <laughs> and keep recording. <laughs> he, he invited him to come pay his bill? <laughs> yeah, he said, he said, well, he, he said he, if he's going to pay somebody, come and give us some of the old money he owe us. Uh, and he come back in here and work. We ain't got no problem. We just want the bill paid. <laughs> right. So, George can't judge broke back there. He was there, he was in there that next night, and from for ten years after that, wow. We did everything in there. We did Thomas from Thomas Dolby to Damn. Otis Day to uh, Thomas Dolby. Uh, uh, Blinding me with time. Oh yeah, uh, we did the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, Come man. on, man. Oh okay, so that period, yeah, yeah, when uh, the Chili Peppers did Freaky Styley, right? Styley, all that wow. stuff. Yeah. Wow. That was, that, that was the first year that we we was trying to create a new production thing for George. That's heavy. You know, he didn't want he didn't want to sell the same stuff that he had been doing it, but he eventually went back to trying to do that. You know, but um, did you win an Emmy award? You won an did Emmy the award theme for the Tracy Armand show. That's so cool. Lita Woods, uh, Lloyd Williams, who who was with us with with me in the troupe, the Lita Woods. Oh God, these names. Joe, uh, Jay Stone. He used to date Belita Woods. Mm. And Belita Woods, Belita Woods was in the group for a while too. The Undisputed Truth. Right. Yeah, Belita was the lead singer of a group called Brainstorm. Mm. Very talented young. Yeah, lady. I've seen her perform live many times with P Funk All Stars. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 That wow. was one of the projects. You know, that, that's the way George got signed because they told George, "Look, we don't want the old concept. You got to bring. You got to come with a new concept." And George was saying, "Well, come on, let's come up with something." He said. What do I need? How can we change this up so that you can read? You know, he was just, we, we was bouncing around. And I told him, I said, well, first of all, you ain't going to get no rhythm to another guy being out front. So get, you need a, a female up there that can sing. Mm -hmm. And then he looked at me and, and I looked at him at the same time. He said, can you talk to the leader? <laughs> <laughs> I said, of course, I talked to the leader, you know, and I talked because, I mean, it was an opportunity for the leader to showcase herself. Too. And she sounds you so know. good. Yeah. I love her. So uh, that was the start of that, because, I mean, from from that first that first year, molded the rest of it that for 10 years we did i mean wow we did quite a we did a whole lot of stuff over there you did do fries come with that shake i'm singing on it i'm <laughs> <laughs> singing the highest and the lowest notes hey and uh, the highest and the lowest and notes bulletproof, on that? i'm singing the high part on bulletproof i'm doing a curtis mayfield imitation Ooh -wee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm red alert. I'm up there. <laughs> you could do that. I didn't know you could do that. Let me tell you something. Working with George Clinton, George Clinton is a creative uh, tell machine. Tell me about it. How well, so? I mean, you hear you talking right there. He can put that in the. You know, he, him and Norman do the same thing. He can get your voice in the in the in the in the track. Ah, gotcha. You know, you you might think of something you just said, and he being there, you think that oh, that's him, George. <laughs> or, or, they come in there and put you in, in some background music and, and make you be the feature. Okay. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you saw George if, with Belita, you saw Louis Kababi. Louis Kababi? He was an Armenian guy. The Armenian guy that come on the stage. The and bald do a guy, right? Rap. The bald guy, right? The bald guy. Yeah, yeah George developed him. <laughs> I know who you're talking about. Right, right. <laughs> that first group of Parliament Funkadelic. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the first group. Yeah. You know, I mean, though, that is that was an anomaly. That was something that 
uh, 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 it's a freak of nature. You can only have put, put together by God. I was on the very first mm-hmm. show that George Clinton did when he had a suit on in his hair process at the Apollo. Oh, great. I forgot to ask you about that. You, you, so you know the parliament when they're trying to do the still be like yeah. the doo-wop group with the it's suits, the right? Guy Rocky G, the biggest group in the world. And who loud? I mean, the kids just stood up and they was from an area. And me and uh, Eddie LeVert was standing on the side and they came out. And I didn't, you know, I didn't know what was going on. I heard Eddie say, uh-uh, 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 oh, shit. You know, I was like, what's wrong? He said, that seven grooms of gloom that that band's supposed to be playing is doom, 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 doom. But you see, what had happened was uh, uh, when they came to uh, for band rehearsal the night before, then everybody didn't show up, so the band didn't know. See, you got to show up to rehearsal. That's right, right, Jay? That's right. <laughs> oh my God! So, and from and after that very first show, though, Jay's closed the show. <laughs> and everything there's a lesson. Me and George talk about it all the time. Everything's you know, a lesson. You know, George said that record got so big so fast. He said, next thing you know, they was headlining the Apollo. Wh- which record is this? Which record? <laughs> I want to testify. I want to testify. Yeah. They, I'm telling you, Rocky G was one of the biggest DJs in New York. When they when he announced him, he said, ladies and gentlemen, we're one of the biggest records in the world <laughs> from New York. Ah. Just wanted to And then that band starts saying, doom, doom. <laughs> and they tried to sing it. Right. They really tried to sing it, but it just wasn't fitting because you had to move to that vibe that there was there. Yeah, they're the trying. Seven rooms of gold with the four top songs. They're they trying to do those dance steps, song. right? Lord have mercy. Right, so, I want, so wait a second. So you're saying a parliament, and make sure your mouth's up to that, Joe. You're saying Parliament, they had to stop a song in front of an Apollo audience? You would have to have had a record that big to be able to get away right. with it now. They got oh, away. they did get away with it. I was imagining like tomatoes flying. The tempo was wrong, and then George, George is a showman. He cleaned it up. It's, 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 we got to get on. <laughs> so he still had that, in, he had that instinct even oh, back yeah. then, huh? Yeah, I mean, he's, I mean, he's the real deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, George... It's a real, I mean, he's a real deal. Ain't nothing fake about it. You know, and that's, that's you know, you can't imitate that. Right. right. You, know, you can't imitate it. When you can take people who can't sing, mm-hmm. like me, I can't sing. What? You know, but I can do it. No, no, let me tell you something. What? I can tell you about a singer. Marita Woods is a singer. Come on, man. I can tell you about some singers. I Get mean, out. I know some singers. And I opened for Jackie Wilson. So, you know, I. I was, I was like, oh, no, I'm not. You know, and Jackie, when we when I was with the Peps, he was familiar with us. And mm-hmm. when we did that show, we did him, with him a whole weekend. And when the first, before the first show, before we even went on stage, he came into our dressing room and he said, we're going to have fun and, and, and we're going to make love and not war. Jackie Wilson <laughs> said that? Yeah. He <laughs> said, you know, he he said, the place going to be full of women. I can't get all of them. He said, y'all do your best. He said, but don't, he said, don't kill yourself. <laughs> because what he was really telling us, it didn't make no difference. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you can go out there and overt yourself and make it like you might have to sweat a little bit more. But if we go out there and just do what we do and we was looking good and sharp and young guys and the women was going to like us, too. Well, he didn't want us doing some stuff that make him have to do something to try to counteract that. Right. And I understood that. And, and my respect for him, I wouldn't have even tried. Because when he came out there singing, right. that's all he had to do. Mm-hmm. And then most of his show, he was on his back. And then women was all over him. And then them guys would come out there and pick him off of And then they would take him to the dressing room. We couldn't change clothes. We had to go out there and do another song. <laughs> Everybody, ah! We went and did another song, and we was doing some. We had a little thing. We was doing the steps, and Jackie come out there and doing the steps with it. And we finished and turned around and spin and walk on off. And then he went on and went on with his show. <laughs> he was hard to beat. He's hard to beat, Jackie Wilson. Joe, let me ask you. Um, I mentioned you're doing the undisputed truth right now. And BJ's back in the band. You have two other members. Could you uh, remind me, remind us the name of the, what's the current group of the Undisputed Truth? Who's currently in the group? Jackie G. Fundren, mm-hmm. uh, which she's the young lady that um, uh, a, good, a guitar player used to play for me. He, and when I was trying to retool before I left in California, he, we were on Facebook and he was saying, Joe, what you trying to do? I said, man, I think I just beat cancer. I said, I was thinking about not doing nothing no more, but I think I might try to get this thing one more shot. I'm getting getting calls from people all over the world, and I might give it one more shot, you know. He said, okay, well, I got this girl that I think you need to hear. I was like, oh, really? For him to tell me, call me from and tell me that on Facebook, and then call me. I gave him my number. He called me, and and we talked, and he... uh, 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 give me her number and stuff. So I called her and we talked and she sent me some music. I liked some of the stuff that she was writing. So I sent for her. She came out to California and stayed with me. And, um, I got a chance to know her and uh, her personality was like, wow, mm-hmm. maybe God is real. If he's sending these kind of folks to me and I done got rid of cancer and their personality is like this and they're talented, and they they're committed to doing what they're doing, then I need to be I need to take advantage of it because if you don't recognize a blessing, you don't have it. Mm-hmm. And I, since I mean we've been together now. This I think this is the twelfth year with with those two girls. I've been the third year with BJ being back, mm-hmm. and she brought the other young lady uh, who is I mean that she is a godsend. Her name is Daisy Love, mm-hmm. and she the niece. Uh, Leon Ware and uh, C.P. Spencer, who sang with the originals. Wow! Her okay. mom is yeah. Her mom is they brother, their brothers and sisters. Wow! So she and she is uh, I mean a talented. I mean all of them are. I mean I, it's just I I work in an environment that I never you know I'm saying work because I don't want to. Um, I, I want to make it sound like it's supposed to be work. Sure. It, it's, you don't feel like it. You know, you're with some folks that when we get together, we're glad, and we everybody's in tune to what we're trying to do and in, in, in concept. The only thing that, that, that where, we, where, we, where we're going to be locking in now before the first of the year is, is working with the band that's going to be playing our stuff exclusively. 
What? Uh, how? How many players are you going to go out with? You think? I'm I'm not going to take no more than five. Got it. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that because I mean, it, right now promoters are crying and screaming. <laughs> and yeah, yep. I don't. I don't want to try to wing it. I want to try to be as, as close to my music right. as I can get. Right. And if I can get a couple of keyboard players, I'm always having good guitar players. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. I mean, I've had some of the, the, the toughest guitar players out there in, in, in Undisputed Troops. So, nice. Yeah, you know. for real. And this album's no exception. Everybody, um, the Undisputed Truth, they do have a brand new album, and it sounds great. We're going to listen to another song. We're going to listen to the title track. This album is called Truth Gone Set You Free. That's Gone, G-O-N, with an apostrophe. And this can be, you can buy this directly. You can get a hard copy, a CD, or you could just download the music from therealundisputedtruth.com. Right, Joe Pep? That's right. This always happens, man. I always, I always feel like I'm just scratching the surface, Jay Stone, and then it's like we're just running out of time. Right. And, uh, it's just you been such an honor talking to Joe Pep Harris. And uh, by the way, uh, Joe used to date Debbie Wright, Jay. What? <laughs> uh, JW's sister, Debbie, yeah. who we spoke about a lot L last, last episode. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a connection here. JW. That's a Detroit. I did, Detroit is figured heavily in the Aced Out podcast, I'll tell you that. Yeah. And uh, we couldn't be gladder. What's the weather like? Uh, what's the temperature right now in Detroit, Joe Pep? It's cold as shit. It's cold. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not, you don't have a smiling face right now? I got to smile every day. I'm I'm alive, but I ain't gonna lie about it. Hey, remind so, us what, what kind of cancer did you survive, Joe? Uh, prostate cancer. Prostate cancer, right and we're so glad that you you're alive. And how many years has it been that you've been you've been feeling good and ready to do the music again? Um, 2007, 2007. Mm -hmm. See. 
2007, uh, around 2007, 7 to 8, because you always worry about it coming back. Eat right. 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 Eat right. Yep. Eat right. Eat right. Eat right. Don't eat the crazy shit. Don't eat it because that's all it is. What, what do you eat? What's your diet like these days? Whole foods. Whole foods? <laughs> Whole foods. And, and, I'm, and I'm learning it now where I'm, I'm going to be eating where I know that everything that I'm eating at, come on, I'm 76 years old. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's going to be, I want to look like Barry Gordy when I get that old. <laughs> Every day is, I'm learning. I'm learning. I mean, you know, let me just say an honorary, Ace, before, when I was, when I made my first record in 1955, 56, something around in there. Go ahead. And the very first time we went out, after the record was released, we were going around the city to the different record ops for the DJs. The very first night that I went out, I did three three record hops. And who did I do those three record hops with? Who? Back in the 50s. Barry Gordy and Eddie Holland. Mm. Wow. We went wow. to three different DJs to, to, to pat them out our record and, you know, promote our record. It's mm-hmm. these three different dances, and we we leave one place. We get there. They we may be at first we were someplace before them. Then they went somewhere, and we went behind them. And mm-hmm. then we went to the last place. They came back behind us. <laughs> before I come to um, uh, Detroit, I was having uh, lunch with him at his house, and I, re- I asked him to remember that. He said. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> he said, he said, it's amazing. He said, you know, he said, and I think about that all the time. He said, you know, he said, but you know, he said, even back then, I was chasing Jackie Wilson. <laughs> you were chasing Jackie Wilson? He was, yeah, he was, well, he was hanging with Jackie Wilson. So that was stuff that he was doing that, you know, that was something he was just getting his foot wet, mm-hmm. his feet wet, you know, he had an artist in out there with a record out, and he was taking him around to the different places using his his, uh, uh, his notoriety to get some action with him playing Eddie Allen's first record, mm-hmm. mm. which was a very good record, you know. Oh, Jamie, Jamie, <laughs> talking about Jamie, sound like Jackie Wilson. And that reminds me. And that reminds me. Um. You know, I was a little offended you didn't call yourself, you said you're not a singer. And that's just one thing I want to say before we sign off. You are a singer, Joe Pep Harris. Right, Jay Stone? That's right. Can you believe that he said that? <laughs> I can't believe that. What's he talking about? <laughs> what is he talking about? I think, you know, just trying to be modest and shy. So. I think I think all that whole food's gone to his head on that one. <laughs> but you know what? It's just, it's an honor to uh, speak with you. I'm so glad to talk with you. I was so excited. The moment that I heard I was going to have the chance to interview you, I mean, just ask my wife. I've been nervous like all night. And, uh, <laughs> and now that we've finally done the interview, it's just so great. And it's been so much fun. How about you, Jay Stone? You have anything to say hey, before man. we sign off with I'm the just brother? Looking forward and hope you, you know, you guys come out and tour in California, you know, Bay Area. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, do you have any dates booked? I'm working on it now for next year. I'm working yeah. on anything. Anything you see out there, I'm interested. Okay. Okay. Let us. And, okay. We'll yeah, send you we'll, some stuff. We know yeah. a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We can actually do yeah. something with that. And um, you okay. know what? Yeah. Yeah. Just let us know. Um, whatever you're doing, keep us updated. 
and you could always check in with us. I'll check in with you. And we got to do a second, a second one of these. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It was really frustrating because there's so many other songs. I actually have other songs too that I want to talk about, but it's just like it's an embarrassment of riches. Like yeah. all his tunes. I mean, all the different songs they got and the different albums and the different iterations right. and the production, man. Yeah. It's just beautiful. And you you are blessed, man. You're, the production on the stuff that you sing on is just like Dope. it's so fun to listen to. And we're sitting here with the headphones on, just like just digging. And and to be Norman's like you know uh, partner like that is just amazing. It's it's, it's incredible. Yeah, no, see, Norman wanted that stuff to be like we going on the stage to do it, so you live it, right? You right. know, it doesn't sound like something coming out of the studio and that's it. We mm. wanted it to sound like coming off the stage. Yeah, right, right. You know, the band plays a big part of it. I miss it, but I mean, I'm, we're working on that part of it right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right. And you're, I, I feel like that's going to really, like, just going to uh, even supercharge you even more, uh, supercharge you guys. Once you got those live musicians behind you, I don't want to, like, uh, toot our own horn, but live musicians really, like, get the singers feeling it. Can't, Can't beat, beat it. it. Yep. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. My pleasure. It was fun, guys. All right, man. Well, what are you going to do today for the rest of the day? I'm going to sit back and, and, and chill, smoke one, and just watch the thing. <laughs> there Likewise. you go right on <laughs> alright man well thank you so much and we'll talk to you soon okay my pleasure alright right man on, have a great afternoon and stay healthy stay healthy and stay warm thanks Jeff I'm focused I'm focused alright man alright talk All right, to you soon alright talk to you Joe you still there did he hang up oh you still there so, Joe, I just want to tell you, we stopped recording. Um, I'll give you a call. We're going to post this episode probably a week from today. I'll give you a call throughout the week and let you know how it's going, okay? Okay, do that. Let me know. All right, man. Talk Sweet. to you soon. Okay. Thanks, Abe. All right. Bye. Peace. All right, guys. So, so you cool with the recording intro? Okay. So let's just take fire. That dude's got stories, man. Oh, we go for days, dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Sorry, man. We have some work to do on post-production, man. Yeah, it's okay. He started walking around once he started enjoying the question. Like, once right. he started talking, go, oh, and then he'd, like, walk away. Or something. Like he, sometimes he's like this or something. Some people so, talk on his, on his cell phone like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll get a good That was fun. Dude, he has too many names to fucking Talking about the space machine. Okay, I think, I think, yeah, they have another song about UFOs on our play. Maybe we can stick it in one. Oh, I have some other songs. All the wild things you've heard before. Somewhere
Whew. Oh, my Lord. Jay Stone. Yo. What's going on with the show we're doing, man? I mean, the guests we're getting, the people we're talking to, the conversations we're having. By the way, I thought you were going to hijack. I thought we were going to do a whole different show at the beginning for a second. <laughs> yeah, I, just, I just wanted to ask. Yeah, I, I could have went there, but I just wanted to just, you know, just drop it. So that might no, be episode two. No, I was egging you on. I, I was egging you on. But <laughs> we were going to do, he started talking about Las Vegas and yeah. sighting. I thought yeah. we were about to do a whole other kind of, Area 51. Whole other kind of podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, was, that was just so cool talking to him. And it's beautiful just hearing how kind of hyped up he is. Yeah. And how he's really thinking about it with a clear head, uh, what he wants to do and mm -hmm. how music is recharging him. Yeah. And, and uh, he's getting, you know, uh, BJ coming back to the band and stuff like that. I just wish we could have listened to more songs and gotten into more. No doubt. And uh, you know what? Uh, by the way, I last episode, I kind of messed up. We were a little bit in a hurry because we got caught up with other things. And I wanted to do a, a nice tribute to Pedro Bell. Mm -hmm. Pedro Bell, of course, Jay Stone, uh, is a very well-known artist. Um, it's unusual. Usually when people do album covers and stuff, even if you like the album cover, you don't really know who made it. Right. Even if it's your favorite, your favorite cover. Uh, most people who like P-Funk, who are into that kind of thing, mm -hmm. know exactly who... When you say Pedro Bell, they know that no, name. Wouldn't yeah. you agree? Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty It's pretty much a known thing. And it's kind of the first thing you see. For me, it was, let's take it to the stage. I uh -huh. saw that cover, oh, and I was yeah. like, what's that? Hell, yeah. It's almost, it's, you know, you could put it up there with, like, a, a classical, you know, like Bach or right. Brahms or... I call James Brown, like, a classical like Brown or, you know? Yeah. Pedro Bell is like Picasso. You yeah know, the funk picasso <laughs> he he seriously is and um he got his start or really made his uh bones uh drawing some of the early funkadelic covers so the first few covers is like photography you know like mm -hmm. uh, uh maggot brain yeah free your mind they're doing yeah. like cool photographs but when cosmic slop was done that was the first time you really saw pedro bell and we brought in we actually have the uh, vinyl cover in the studio with us just to take a look they reproduced this cover in a cd but it does just does a disservice right jay stone well, i mean yeah. you, you can't even look at everything um Describe what you see, man. What's on the cover of Cosmic oh, man. Slot? It's this giant, this giant of a lady on the front cover with maybe like some alien eyes right. that slits in her afro. It's got flies and hands in it and a face. and Maggot brain faces in there, I think. Bells around her neck, like a, a necklace of, of bells and... It's just wild. One of her nipples is like a radio knob. Yeah, like She's a got volume. Africa. On the other one. Uh, baby is coming out of her shoulder. That's like a that's a classical story right there. There's a uh, you can research a story about a baby like coming out of the, his mom's side. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I know he has a lot of intelligent. He's a very learned man. A, yeah. An autodidact as they call him, and he has a lot of very intelligent uh, references. No doubt. Uh, there's aliens down there. Some kind of like pimp aliens down there. Yeah. It's no it's doubt. interesting. It's kind of like a surreal take on the African American experience. Oh, really, yeah. Is what it is. Uh, there's little political nuggets. If you turn it over, there's um, there's a collage with some uh, superfly and all kind of superfly. Yeah, Bernie yeah. and Bert and Black Power. And all Is Bert and Ernie in there? Yeah, right there. <laughs> <laughs> and they got the usual propaganda, the Funkadelic propaganda paragraphs in there. I love all that stuff. Yeah, um, can't beat it. Yeah, yeah. So, 
we to, to do aced out podcast we really got to make a tribute to this man and i was going to at first uh, jay stone i was going to read an excerpt from actually george clinton's autobiography because he talks about him but I then do. i there was a really great um new york times article uh that actually quotes the same book so i thought i'd read some of that right uh dj ways give me some music for this and this is about pedro bell he died on august 27th 2019, y'all. Rest mm-hmm. in power. Mm-hmm. Rest in power. This is from the New York Times. Uh-huh. Mr. Bell created his first cover for Funkadelic, the pioneering band that merged funk and psychedelic rock in 1973. The album was Cosmic Slop, and it featured a topless woman, space imagery, and mutants. Though Funkadelic and his sister act Parliament had been around for several years, Mr. Bell's artwork and the liner notes he wrote under the name Sir Leb, Bell spelled backward, helped define Funkadelic in its elaborate mythology. Bell portrayed the members of Funkadelic as the Evasion Force, a technicolor assortment of alien superheroes, Afronauts, mutants, and cosmic warriors, Lowdown Magazine once wrote in an article about him. Their mission was to fight the good fight, to rise and prevail in the ideological and musical funk wars, Jay Stone. Mm-hmm. Pedro Bell referred to his artwork as scar tunes. <laughs> but Pam Went, who with Louis Jacob curated a 2009 exhibition at the Justina M. Barnett Gallery in Toronto called Funk Aesthetics, that included Mr. Bell's work, said that they were hardly frivolous. And this is her talking. The artwork of Pedro Bell was an essential component of the alternately utopian and dystopian world of P-Funk, which placed African-American reality in the context of a science fiction future that was both scary and hopeful. Pedro was a brilliant autodidact who was a key source of George Clinton's ideology through his readings of science fiction, media theory, and environmentalist trash. As well as his knowledge of Sun Ra's Afrofuturism, Jay yes. Stone. Yeah. And you know about Sun Ra. Oh, big time. And then, anyway, here's the part uh, that George talks about him. In his memoir, Brothers Be Like, George, Ain't That Funkin' Hard On You? from 2014, George Clinton recalled how Mr. Bell came to his attention. Around 1972 or so, we started to get letters from a young artist in Chicago named Pedro Bell, he wrote. He doodled these intricate, Wild worlds filled with crazy hypersexual characters and strange slogans. Mr. Bell's letters arrived in hand-decorated envelopes, bizarre miniature works of art that sparkled official alarm so it freaked people out at the <laughs> post office. After a few months of delivering Pedro's letters to us, Mr. Clinton wrote, the postmaster general wanted to know if I was involved in some kind of subversive organization. <laughs> Pedro's correspondence, he added, gave me an idea for how we could move Funkadelic up a notch, how we could take what we were doing musically and on stage and capture some of that anarchic energy in the album packages. Right. Till this day, Pedro's covers are many people's point of entry for Funkadelic albums. Right, we were talking about that. Yes, sir. When people talk about Cosmic Slot, for example, they talk as much about the cover art as anything else. The way that the screaming face is inset in the woman's afro, her vampire fangs, the map on one nipple and the stereo dial on the other. The strange yellow bug off to the right of the woman's with Pedro's signature along its body. And Jay Stone actually, um, Pedro, it was hard to pay him. 
Why is that? You might not believe this. I don't know. He had a job as a banker. Uh -huh. He worked as a bank teller, oh. and he liked that job. <laughs> and he put on a suit, and he worked as a banker. And then he doodled artwork when he wasn't working. Oh, and wow. in his mind, they were just separate. Right. People have tried to curate his art and have tried to give him, um, you know, exhibitions. Right. Even Matt Groening, you know, the guy that created The yeah, Simpsons, Simpsons, he tried to get a Pedro Bell art thing going. But wow. it's hard to do. It's hard to curate because most of his stuff, his originals are actually gone. Uh, he donated them to some European, I don't know, mm -hmm. European uh, museum. Right. And he never got them back. And you know artists. You, We both know artists like this. They're yeah. just making their art, but they're not good at keeping track of it yeah. or saving it. Yeah. It drives you crazy. And Pedro was like that. He actually went blind in his final oh, days, no. which is Can you awful. imagine? And um, I can't. And you know what? He's probably still drawing. Yeah. You know, like oh, Beethoven sure. went deaf. Yeah. Was it Beethoven that went deaf? I think so. Uh, yeah. And then he still wrote music. Uh -huh. I, he probably was still doodling, yeah. like on his clothes and stuff. Oh, sure. And uh, so anyway, Pedro Bell. Wow. We speak your name. We pour one out for you. Yes. And uh, staying on the groove. Uh, uh, sorry, One Nation Under a Groove. That's him mm -hmm. on that album cover and all those great covers. Uh, by the way, John Witherspoon died. And Pops. I wanted to shout him out as well. <laughs> Every time I'm in the kitchen, you in the kitchen. <laughs> eating all the pig's feet. The chicken. I want pig's feet. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, uh, Jay Stone, if you really want to check something out, I actually recognize um, John Witherspoon, not to be all, you know, Mr. Hipster. But when he came out in Friday, the movie Friday, the Ice Cube comedy, yeah. came out in 1994, if you could believe that. Oh, wow. With Chris Tucker. And that's really made John Witherspoon's bones. And then he got mm -hmm. boondocks after that. Yeah. But I recognized him because he was always on David Letterman's show, like through the 80s. Yeah. He was like a guest comedian. I didn't know. I'd never seen him. Yeah. When Dave Letterman had only like Paul Schaefer had that small band. Yeah. You remember? Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was like it was like really late at night before he got big. Uh -huh. And actually, John Witherspoon, um, Richard Pryor in the late 70s, he tried to have a show like the Dave, Lepe uh, Dave Chappelle had later. Right. Richard Pryor had a four-episode show. He quit because he got in a, you know, an argument with the censors. But Richard Pryor used to have his own comedy show, and it's really funny. You guys look it up on YouTube, Richard Pryor Show. Um, and anyway, he did this one skit called Black President, because back then it was like a joke. Oh, imagine right. if the president was black. Right. <laughs> what would happen? You know? Right. And so he did. They did a skit where Richard Pryor was uh, African American president, and uh, the uh, the reporters that were asking him questions at uh -huh. this in this little skit. One of them was Robin Williams. Another one was Paul Mooney. This okay. is like early, early when nobody knew who they were. Okay. And Richard Pryor hired him for the show. And John Witherspoon is actually in the skit as well. Right. So he goes back to the seventies, man. So he was oh, he was yeah. like doing it, you know He's what I mean? It. Grinding, grinding. Yeah. So when ninety four came around, he had already been doing it. He was a veteran. Yeah, yeah. And I know some people shed a tear, some tough gangsters out yeah. there. I mean, they really like love old John Witherspoon. Speaking of that, I wanna say I listened yeah, to an interview. He drove from uh Detroit to Las Vegas and or wanted to go to like Los Angeles but ended up staying in Las Vegas because he, he spent his money gambling. Who, John Witherspoon? Yeah. Okay. And had to stay in Las Vegas for a couple months or so until he made money back to go to L.A. Oh. But he drove from Detroit and, and we keep on talking about people from Detroit. <laughs> he got busted. I know. There's always this Detroit connection and we I need never... to go to Detroit. That's I know. what it is. That's what I'm saying, yeah. man. Got to pack those winter clothes and get going there. Right, Tina? We got to get there. Detroit, Japan, and friends. That's, that's where what, we got to go. That's what it is. So y'all put, you know, put the word out to your people and uh, let's get us over there. That's right. And, dude, um, I told you um, 
Our show's coming up. We're going to have some good guests, Jay Stone. Yeah, I'm, I'm always forward. nervous. I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. But JW has other classic, classic uh, performers who are going to come in our show in the future. And you know what else? We're also going to do a show with Stymie. Dun, dun, dun. Stymie and the PJLO. Stymie and the Pimp Jones yes. Love Orchestra. He also has a group called Soul Ska. Our good friend Stymie. Uh, love him. Yeah, and I negotiated with him. We are going to do a show with him. I don't know when. Nice. We still got to book it. Yeah. I'm going to let him take his time and get his thing together. But I talked to him, and that's going to be a heck of a show. You want to hear some talking. That's going to. This show almost went over to UFOs. That's going to be about comic books. We're going to try to talk about music. We might just start talking about comic books. <laughs> so he's going to be on. I'm, I, I, can't, I can't wait for that. We might Dope. have to do something special for that show. He might be in person in here. Oh, he's going to be in person. Yeah. There's no way we're letting him yeah. on the phone. He's, we're going to drag him in here. Dope. If we have to go pick him up and drive him here. Uh, by the way, let us know um, one more time, Jay Stone, about the shows we got coming up and how to get our album, the Funkonauts' brand new album. Brand new album, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth, is available on iTunes, Spotify, and um, all those you know things you could get music on. Our gig, uh, we got a gig coming up for AIM West in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. It is with the Firebirds Blues Band, Funkonauts, and the Bobby Young Project, supporting the 50 years of the AIM West movement in in San Francisco. And you could look that up with uh, AIM slash West dot org. And Bobby Young is a cold, cold brother, man, on yes. the guitar, man. Bobby I've had the Young. pleasure of playing with him a little bit on a gig here and there, and he is... He's yeah. got his thing, man. He's got his look. You could spot Bobby Young a mile away. You know he's coming, man. <laughs> he looks like a rock star. I love him. Yes. Love him. And his, his, his son, Nick, too, is a yeah. great guitar player, too. Play awesome. with him. Yeah, love him. And uh, we're going to do that. Uh, don't forget the KPFA performance. Oh, yeah. And we're doing Ricky Vincent's birthday for KPFA. And I want to say the audience is uh, is invited to that. It's uh, You know, they have like a little studio where people could sit and what how do you how do you go to it do you just go to the just studio yeah okay. just go there and just show you know there's a camera at the front door so, so you don't have see. to okay so you don't have to reserve or nothing no okay no but you know that's going to be worldwide live and, so i guess um, we would go on a, at 11 yeah the show starts at 10, 10 usually 10 yeah, to 12 10 to on 12. friday nights yep that's december 27th Every friday night yep december 27th for like 20 years now he's been doing it i want to say yeah, yeah yeah pretty much the history of funk y'all yeah okay great great Okay, man. Well, whew, we did it again, and I can't wait till the next show. I was nervous about this one, so I'm glad it's over. I was nervous about talking to a Motown artist, Jay Stone. Yeah, like, that's, I don't know. That's that's uh, I think that's normal. Yeah. <laughs> if I wasn't, you'd be worried, right? <laughs> but uh, that that was a pleasure. That was so good. Um, anyway, it was beautiful to talk to him. Uh, I wanted to play a song from the album we are promoting and uh, is sponsoring this episode. Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth by the Funkonauts. This is a song called Stay True that I chose for today. And I remember Jay Stone was working on this even before, because I was a fan of the Funkonauts for years and just kind of in the sort of entourage, you might say, where I'd see Jay Arona. And he, he invited me to a studio he used to have before he got you know gentrified out over on, what was it, 60th? Yeah. You had that apartment where you were recording songs, recording great demos. Yeah. Uh, some of the earliest demos, like Barack Wayne and stuff oh, we yeah, did yeah. over there. Straight up. And I remember you were working on Stay True then, even when you had me come in just to play on some of your tracks and stuff. Right. So uh, wh- how long, uh, what's oh, the song man. about or what this gave song, you the inspiration? The song Inspiration, Inspiration is is from uh, 
you know, my wife, my mom, my grandma, mm. you know, the the important women who's always, you know, told me to, you know, stay true to yourself and, you know, don't let anybody kind of steal you wrong. And I don't know what don't take any wooden nickels mean, but, you know, I always hear that from my grandma <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But... You know, it's it's just about just staying true to your heart. You know, somebody might pull you aside and be like, oh, you know, you have things in different groups and people and be like, oh, you can you always use a new drummer or something. But yeah. if you feel that person in your heart, you know, you have to always stay true, you know, and with anything, you know, in life, if you feel it in your heart, you know, your first in, impression, I think, is always the best. Great, man. And, uh, you know, that reminds me of what you said earlier. Remember when we talked to Vetstone and she was yeah. saying a lot of, uh, like, Sly's lyrics was from a grandma yeah. and from their mom? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Got you, man. That's a beautiful yep. thing. This is a song called Stay True by the Funkinuts, and it goes a little something like this.
it's all clear now. That's what's up. got to go home but i was just tripping off that that album uh the last album by undisputed truth uh-huh. and their singer marcy thomas and i just got to play this one last song it's called atomic funk i just got to stick it on at the end because it's just so funky i know we're supposed to go home but let's just play one more tune this is the undisputed truth 1979 a little song called atomic funk
I got something I want to say to you. I say, this has been summertime.